We are beginning a brand new series of messages today, No Perfect People Allowed, and to sort of get us going on this, I, I wanted to, to share a video clip, and I thought to myself uh, as I was putting this together, I, <laughs> I always assume when I'm, I'm kind of sharing a video clip that almost everybody knows what it, what it is, and, and it occurred to me that it, there might be people in here who have no idea what this video clip is from, which just makes me feel really old right now. Uh, but whether you know what it is or not, I think the story will sort of speak for itself and this will launch us into our message this morning. So watch this video clip. Man, don't you just like feel really sad right now? Like that poor little guy. Now, in case you don't know what that is, that is a classic Disney movie, The Ugly Duckling. Now, I used that this morning to jump us into our message. Um, have you ever experienced anything like that? Have, have you ever felt like you wanted to fit in, maybe you didn't quite fit in, but you sort of thought that you could and you try, you show up and, and you just sort of try to fit in with the people that are already there only to be basically rejected by the people that you are trying to fit in with. Man, that is a horrible, horrible feeling. And I think the only place where that is worse, the only situation that makes that worse is when somebody walks away from church feeling exactly like that. Maybe some of you here this morning, you have felt that. Maybe some of you this morning, you know somebody that has felt that. They tried to show up to church they tried to find a place to connect and fit in, and they walked away feeling completely rejected. So we start a series of messages this morning called No Perfect People Allowed. Uh, this series is inspired by my reading this book. And uh, I'm going to be sharing some snippets of information from this book over the course of the next several weeks. I'll be sharing personal insights, experiences, observations. I'll be backing all of it up with a lot of scripture. Uh, but obviously, I won't come anywhere close to sharing everything that's in this book. So I really, really encourage you uh, to go to Amazon.com or whatever bookstore you may find. Look this up. No perfect people allowed. Get yourself a copy. And I hope that if you read it, that you will be inspired as I was uh, about uh, being intentional about shaping the culture of our church for those who are not part of our church. Now, as I read that book, one of the stories that stood out to me and one that stuck with me, and I think in, in many ways it sort of set the, uh, the, the context for the book, and I think in, in a lot of ways it also sets the context for this series of messages. It was a story about a campus pastor in California that went out to have breakfast uh, with a non-Christian, an unbeliever, and over breakfast and coffee, they got into a conversation about a lot of things, but the conversation turned to faith. And so the campus pastor uh, shared a lot of things about uh, his position on faith. And the young, uh, young man who was an unbeliever, he, he shook his head yes, and he agreed 
with most of it. Most of what the pastor was saying, he was like, yes, 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 yes. And so it sort of came down to the end of the conversation and the pastor looked at the young man and he said, are you ready to invite Jesus Christ into your life then? And the young man said, well, you know, I, I can see why that makes sense for you, but it's just not for me. Well, that was not a completely acceptable answer to the campus pastor, and so he pressed him a little bit further, and he assured him, no, listen, it is for you. The gospel, this story, this message, this salvation, it is for you. And if it makes sense to you, and it's the truth, and you agree with it, then why can't you say yes to the salvation of Christ in your own life? And the young man sat there for a little bit, and finally, this was his response back to the pastor. I guess I just don't want to be like you. Nothing like getting nuked at close range, huh? I guess I just don't want to be like you. And church, sadly, that is the often unspoken mindset and point of view that a lot of non-Christians have about the church and people who call themselves Christ followers. And as they have experienced uh, church and Christ followers, they have kind of come to the uh, conclusion that they don't know a whole lot of what the church is for, but they are pretty clear on what the church is against. And most of the time, it feels like everything that the church is against is against them. And so, and so here's what they have decided. They have decided under those circumstances, I want nothing to do with the church, and I sure as heck do not want to be like you. I don't want to be like who you are. I don't want to be like what you're offering. And I think one of the reasons that this happens is because of the fact that a lot of unbelievers have felt personally judged and rejected and disapproved of by Christians. They have personally felt that sting. They have they felt like that ugly duckling that, that maybe showed up and tried to make a connection to a Christian or a church only to get honked at and ignored and rejected. And as a result, they don't want anything to do with it. Now, if you were here last week, the idea that they feel like that probably shouldn't surprise you because we shared this graphic last week from a, a survey done by George Barna that 51% of Christians taking this survey self-identify their actions and their attitudes as being more like Pharisees than being like Jesus. That's 
51% of Christians. That's not the world evaluating Christians. That's Christians self-evaluating a series of questions. And 51% of all Christians taking this survey self-identify as having actions and attitudes that look more like Pharisees than Jesus. That can't be good. That can't be good for the cause of the gospel because two of the hallmarks of being a Pharisee is being judgmental, being a hypocrite. And not only do those who fall into that category tend to express those tendencies outside the church, they tend to express them inside the church as well. Because, I mean, hey, listen, if, if I believe and, and I sort of handle my quote-unquote Christian life in that frame of mind, I don't want those people coming in here. I, I don't want what's going on in the world out there to start sort of filtering in here to the church. I don't want that rubbing off on me. We got to protect our space here from any potential influence from out there in the world, all those people. And so thousands of churches around America gather every Sunday and they act like they're the beautiful ducks. And the people who are far from Jesus, who walk through the door needing to hear from God and to meet Jesus in the flesh, they're the ugly ducklings. And they walk through the door and those who are already there can start to sort of turn their nose up at them and ignore them and maybe even express a little frustration. Why in the world would somebody who looks like, acts like, or lives like an ugly duckling want to come in here and try to fit into our nice little clean church culture? There's just one problem with all of that thinking. We're all ugly ducklings. Every one of us is an ugly duckling. It's just that some of us have already found a place in the family of Jesus, and others are still looking. Now, let me shift gears just a little bit. Let me, let me talk about the ugliest of ducklings. If I were to ask you this morning to name a, a city in, in America that was most full of ugly ducklings, that was most full of sinful, uh, horrific behavior, where people like sin with gusto, what city would you name? Okay, I heard several, but I also heard a bunch of people say Las Vegas. I think it is Las Vegas. You know why? What? Okay, so if you've ever watched TV and you've seen an advertisement for Las Vegas, what happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. What in the world does that mean? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know what they're saying? Hey, you come here, live any way you want to, do anything you want to, break every moral law you ever thought about keeping, it's all good. You can live any fantasy you want to in Vegas because it's Vegas, baby. 
And what happens here stays here. It's not going to affect anything else in your life. Let it go. Just do whatever you want to. It's all good here. Sadly, I think that's had some real repercussions in our culture at large. And what really grieves me is how, how that, that sort of mindset has filtered into almost every major college campus across our country where anything goes, you live any way you want to live because, hey, what happens in college stays at college. Right, I mean, college isn't the real world. That's not the world you live in. You can do anything you want to here. And little by little, that mindset of anything goes, it's all good, has begun to filter across our country. And there is a city that says, whatever happens here stays here. The mindset of college kids, whatever happens there stays there. And it is beginning to spread almost everywhere around our country. Well, you may or may not be aware, but there was a city and a culture in the early days of Scripture that was very, very, very much like Las Vegas and our college campuses of today. It was the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a place where anything went. The city of Corinth was a city that it was wealthy, and it was known for its wildlife uh, party behavior. It was known for its sinful behavior. It was known for sexual freedom. Anything goes in Corinth. And you know what that means to me? Is that Corinth was very, very, very much like some of the cities and the culture that we are experiencing more and more on a daily basis here in America. And further, that tells me that the people that the church in Corinth was dealing with, the people that the church in Corinth was trying to reach for the cause of Christ, were very, very similar in their experiences to what we are trying to deal with today. The lost people that the church of Corinth was dealing with had a lot of similarities to the lost people that we are dealing with in our culture today. Now, it's very easy for us when we start to think about how bad our culture has become to get very frustrated with it. Listen, we have never, ever, ever been a quote-unquote Christian nation. But we have been a nation that was founded on Christian principles. And those Christian principles have guided our country for a long time. But we are in a post-biblical and in many ways a post-constitutional country. Now we can gripe about it, we can complain about it all day long, but it is what it is. This is the culture that we now live in. This is the culture that we now minister in. And rather than get frustrated and, and shake our head, man, I cannot believe how bad our culture has become, I want us to take a look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six, Paul is actually writing to that very church 
in Corinth. And in the middle of all the stuff that they were dealing with, Paul makes some pretty strong statements, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul lays the law down. None of those people, don't fool yourself, none of those people would inherit the kingdom of God. And this is where we in the modern church in America tend to stop reading. We go, oh yeah, that's right. Thank goodness we're not those people. Thank God we're not those people because those people will never inherit the kingdom of God. And we don't want to be around those people because Paul said, they're not going to get in. You are, and I don't want to be those people. So God, thank you. I'm not those people. And we can feel really, really good about ourselves after we look at all those people who are not going to get in, but I am. But Paul doesn't stop there, and neither should we. He says in verse 11, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you. Don't you dare start feeling like you're all that. Don't you dare start feeling like, oh, you're better than them. Because Paul said, such were some of you. But it was Jesus who washed you. It was Jesus who sanctified you. It was Jesus who did the redeeming work in your life. Such were some of you. You didn't deserve heaven. You didn't deserve anything you got. But Jesus did all the work for you on your behalf. And he reminded them that even though they were surrounded by the worst of the worst, hey, listen, don't forget Corinthians so were some of you. That's the world that a lot of them had come from. And that's the world that many people who are sitting here this morning have come from. Yeah, you're in church this morning. But scattered throughout this auditorium, I can promise you this morning there are people who have struggled with addictions. And there are probably some people who are still struggling with them. There are people here who, who battle alcohol. There are some people who don't even see it for how bad it is. And it is beginning to mess their lives up. And there are some people who recognize it for what it is. And now they're struggling to get past that addiction, that alcoholism. You are surrounded this morning by people who have lied 
people who have stolen, people who have cheated. There there are, are people in this room this morning that have spent time in jail. There are people here this morning that look for a porn fix at every chance, every opportunity that they get. There are people that that practice sexual promiscuity out of their own choice. And there are people who are sexually broken because they were molested or abused and they're still dealing with the fallout from that years later because of how it shaped their worldview. That is all over our congregation as we sit here this morning. And such were some of you. It wasn't any of us who deserved what we've got in Christ. It was Christ who provided it all, just like the church in Corinth. And I would tell you this morning, everybody, that far from being a group of people that can look down their nose at those ugly ducklings, the church in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, could actually embrace them while they were attempting to win them to the rescuing love of Christ. Because see, the people in Corinth, I believe they could see all those people in the middle of all that mess in Corinth with the eyes of Jesus from the Gospel of John chapter 4, 35. Jesus said, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, they're already white to harvest. See, the way that we look at our culture and the way that we look at those around us is completely affected by perspective. We can see ourselves as better than and by default see all of those others as less than, as ugly ducklings, as a threat to our church culture, as people that we need to maintain space and separation from. We we can see them that way. We can see the broken, the hurting, the messed up, the addicted as the people that we need to protect ourselves from. Or we can see them through the eyes of Jesus like he expressed in John chapter 4, verse 35. We can see them as Jesus saw them or we can see them as ugly ducklings. And how we choose to see them will make all the difference in how we respond to them. Let me show you one more clip. Church, that is exactly what Jesus wants to do for all those ugly ducklings. Look at this passage of scripture from the Gospel of Matthew 23, 37. This is Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. 
but you wouldn't let me. Church, not only is what you saw in that video clip exactly what Jesus wants to do, he wants to do it through his church. In order to live out the mission of Jesus as we need to, we'll be addressing over the next several weeks some very important topics that will have significant effect on how effective we are in reaching the lost, and not only in reaching the lost, but in our own ability to walk in freedom as a follower of Christ. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about dealing with grace, with truth, with brokenness, and how God has positioned the church to not only speak into these situations, but to be the only real answer for any of it. And in the middle of all of this that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, we have to bear in mind that it is not our job to grow people or to change them because you know what? We can't do either one. We can't make someone grow. We can't change someone. Oh, how much we want to, right? I mean, we want to. We want to walk over to somebody who is struggling and we want to help them grow up in their faith. We want to go over to somebody who can't seem to break an addiction and we want to change their life for them. We want it. But in the end, it makes us Pharisees because people see what we're against and not what we're for. Our job in the middle of all of this is to love those ugly ducklings like Jesus did and to point them to the only answer for any of it, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. That's our job. And I am convinced to the core of my being that God wants to build a church here in Southern Illinois that is willing to be real and not just play church because people need a real Jesus, not a fake one. If you're here this morning, you might need Jesus for the first time. And you've thought to yourself all this time, I would say yes to Jesus, but man, I just don't want to be like you. I don't want to be like them. And you've resisted, not because of Jesus, but because of us. And before you this morning, if that's how you feel, I repent on behalf of every Christian who has stood between you and Jesus. Don't let them stand between you and Jesus anymore today. Jesus always has been, and he always will be the only answer. And church, I am calling on us to be that place that demonstrates the heart of Jesus like that last video clip that puts our arms around those who are far from God and says, we love you. Because Jesus does. Father, I pray that in your house this morning and among your people 
that you will have your way. God, may everyone here this morning who is a believer commit, God. Commit to having open hands and an open heart to those who need Jesus, regardless of their background, regardless of where they're from. God, may we repent of ever being the stumbling block between someone and Jesus. And Lord, for anyone this morning that needs salvation, I pray that today you will give them the courage to step out. Come take my hand or the hand of someone else and say, I want to I invite Jesus into my life. God, have your way. I ask everyone to stand. And church, let's start, let's start right. Let's make this year a year where we see people one to Jesus because they see Jesus in us.